You're listening to a podcast from St. Bart's. To find out more about our church or to take a next step, visit stbarts.com.au. Well, it'd be really great if you still have your Bibles open. So at 1 John chapter 2, as we continue in our new series. So this is week two of eight in first letter of John. There's also an outline on the back of the news. So if that's of help, please use that. There's some translation points there in English, Dinka, Dinka, Korean and uh, simplified Chinese, but right now let's, let's pray and ask for God's help. Gracious God, we thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy to us. We thank you also that as we gather and open up your word, that you are at work in the power of your spirit. So Lord, would you please do that this very day, that you'd open our hearts, our minds, and our will to receive and to obey your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How can you really be sure that you know God? As you walk away today, what would give you that sort of confidence? John wants you to know. Now, we all have probably favourite words that we use on a repeated basis. I know there's quite a few in our household that come up over and over again. But one of John's favourite words is to know. In fact, he uses the verb to know 42 times in his letter. And whilst there's a couple of words in the original language that get translated as know, it's evident that one of John's primary concerns is not only for Christians to be able to discern what makes for a genuine follower of Jesus, but that followers of Jesus would have a confidence that they have a saving knowledge of God. That we would deeply know that it is true. God wants that for us. God wants that for you. You might remember John's purpose statement for the whole letter. We looked at it last week. It's actually towards the end of the letter in chapter 5. I write these things to you who believe in the Son of God so that, so the reason, so that you may know in all its richness and fullness, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Remember, they already believe, but John wants them to experience the certainty of that belief. Now, at one level, John has already reminded them of why they can be confident the gospel is true. This is the news about the crucified and risen Lord that the apostles have seen, heard, touched and proclaimed. Our assurance of salvation is not based on who we are or what we do, but on who Jesus is and what he has done. That's great news of grace that we can anchor our lives and our eternity to. John doesn't want anyone to impinge upon that, including that breakaway group at the time the breakaway group who were distorting the gospel by changing core claims about who Jesus was, the breakaway group who were diminishing the gospel by claiming that there was other special additional knowledge that you needed. They were saying that the gospel is both incorrect and inadequate. But John has reminded the faithful that the gospel is true and perfectly sufficient. So at one level, uh, John wants them to be confident in the truth of the gospel. But he doesn't stop there. For he wants them to also know what the marks are 
of the genuine Christian experience. I want this assurance of salvation to take a personal grip on your life so that you are certain and sure that you know him. I think that's the most remarkable kindness of God that he longs for us not just to know him, but actually to be confident that we do. I know so many Christians who really worry about that. They worry that their faith might not be genuine, that it might not be real. They feel intimidated by some of the experiences that other Christians report that they have. But John wants us to be confident. The incredible news is that God wants us to be sure. So how can we know that we know God? What are the marks of genuine, of real Christian experience? Well, I think in this section, John gives us a principle, a way of life, and an example. So we can know that we know God by obedience, so that's the principle, uh, living like Jesus, that's the way of life, and loving one another, that's the example. So obedience, living like Jesus, and loving one another. These are the marks of authentic Christian experience. So the first mark of authentic Christian experience is obedience. Verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in him. Now, at first, when John says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands, I think it can all sound a bit surprising at first. That actually might not be how you expect that sentence to end. Some might expect John to have said something along the lines of, we know we have come to know him if we have some deep and spiritually profound experience or some sort of special revelation from God or personal time with God, which just really rocks our world or something like that. But that's not what John says. John says the first mark of genuine Christian experience is obedience. Some might be worried, "Uh uh-oh, doesn't this sound like some sort of works righteousness creeping in? Doesn't this sound like some sort of legalism or impossible requirement to earn our salvation? But that's not what John is saying. John's point is not that we are saved by our obedience of our keeping of God's commands. He's gone to great lengths to affirm that we're saved through Jesus. Right doctrine of who Jesus is and what he has done matters. It's our trust in him as Lord and Saviour that assures us of our relationship with him. John isn't questioning that. He's saying that evidence of that saving relationship and our experience of that relationship is found in our behaviour. J.I. Packer puts it like this. Obedience is the test of love. We cannot claim to love God or to know him if we do not keep his commandments. That evidence will speak volumes to the world but it also will speak to ourselves. It shouldn't be that surprising, but one of the things that will give us confidence that we're in a saving relationship with the living Lord of the universe is when we actually act like we're in a saving relationship with the living Lord 
of the universe. When our confession that Jesus is Lord, when that actually is evident and matches the pattern of our lives. If I say that Jesus is Lord, but then proceed to persistently ignore, disregard, or disobey Jesus, not only will it be pretty unconvincing to those around us in our lives that we really do believe what we say, but it's also going to be pretty unconvincing to ourselves as well. I think it's no wonder, particularly if there's an area in our lives in which we really are persistently disobedient, then that can really cause us or cause to gnaw, undermine, and really cause us to doubt. Let's be clear, John is not saying that we need to perfectly follow God's commands. That, that would mean the searching of the relationship with God is out of reach for absolutely everyone. He's already said that when we sin, we ought to confess and be assured of forgiveness. So John's already made that abundantly clear. Now, John is saying that we know that we have come to know him when we have a longing and a pattern of seeking to follow God's ways and not our own, when our lives are characterised by obedience, not disobedience. So we're not going to get that perfect, of course. But if you find yourself longing to follow God's ways, if you find yourself sorry when you fall short, these are marks of genuine Christian experience. When John says that those who claim to know God but, not, but do not do what he commands is a liar, it's you know, pretty direct, that, that word for liar actually carries a connotation of being aligned with evil, or actually even more that, of being agents of, of evil. And so there's an implication here that in every choice we make, it's a decision of obedience between two different authorities. Obedience to God whom we claim to love and walk with, or obedience to evil, which we claim to hate and flee from. Obedience to God builds our confidence in relationship with him. Of course it does. Not because our salvation is dependent on it, but because when we obey, we're practising our profession that Jesus is Lord. We're exercising our citizenship. We're being reminded that we belong to his kingdom. We're declaring our love for God. Every time we choose to obey instead of disobeying, that's what we're doing. Practicing our profession, exercising our citizenship, declaring our love. Do you notice how intimate the language is? Our love is made complete. And so it's, it's made full and made real when it's poured out practically. Now, of course, we know that. We know that in relationships, or we know that at least in healthy relationships, that our love is, is made real. It's, it's transformed from just you know, hypothetical, from, from empty words, when we actually do something, when we pour out our lives and, and do what pleases those who we love. We'd actually probably go as far to say that if it's, if it's love without action, then it's not love. It's just, it's just empty words. We do it not to appease the other. I'm not talking about love in a, a broken way to earn someone's love, but that in response to someone's love for us and our love for them, we find lots of practical ways of expressing that in our lives. How much more when we know that God first loved us 
that his commands are for our good and the good of the world, that we would seek to pour out our lives in obedience to him. The second mark of authentic Christian experience is living like Jesus. So verse 5, or we'll pick up halfway through verse 5. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Uh, The language that John uses here, uh, but also in his gospel, really is so incredibly intimate. Uh, When we put our trust in Jesus, our lives are bundled up in him, not just near him, but, but in him. We're enjoined in him and with him through his death and resurrection. Jesus spoke of that intimacy in John's account of the night before he died. Jesus longed that we'd share in intimacy with him like he had even with the Father. Jesus promised to send his spirit who would live in us so that we could really know that intimacy. And here John says that we can know and experience that as we live as Jesus did. Now, living as Jesus did, you might think, does that mean I've got to somehow be transported back to the first century or need to live some sort of itinerant life teaching and practicing miracles or something like that around, around the place? Uh, but it doesn't mean that. It means that wherever and whenever we are, that we'd live lives in the way. So just keeping in step with Jesus, that our lives would line up with his. I think it's kind of exciting that wherever we go, front lines tomorrow, wherever that might be, that that we're stepping alongside Jesus. We're walking with him. One of the things that really turns uh, Australians most off Christianity, one of the biggest belief blockers, is that when uh, lives of Christians just don't really seem to line up with what they profess. Maybe that annoys you too. I think it probably annoys all of us. And of course, that, that hunch of that dissonance, of that disconnection... Is, is right. Uh, at one level, it's right. Not just here, but all throughout the New Testament, we see that one of the hallmarks of being a genuine Christian is following in the ways of Jesus, that it's consistent. That's not what saves us, but we should all be growing in the likeness of Jesus. You know, over time, as we follow Jesus across our lifetime, there should be a general trajectory of growing in his likeness, of, of becoming, you know, less selfish, greedy, angry, self-serving, all those sorts of things that the years go on. Uh, This year, this week, if you're really brave, you might like to ask someone who is close to you, who gets to observe your life, who you really trust, if they see a continued transformation in your life. You might like to even ask them, do you see inconsistencies in my life in the way that I follow Jesus? We're not going to get it perfect. You know, that expectation by the average Australian that Christians' lives should be different, well, that expectation is correct. But the conclusion that our inconsistency somehow disproves God's existence or goodness, well, that's flawed. We are only imitating the master. But our behaviour matters. John says... Whoever claims to live in him must live like Jesus did. But if that doesn't mean, you know, wandering down Margaret Street during the week in some sort of flowing robe and sandals, what what does it mean? What does it actually mean? It means that the truth of the gospel would be seen lived out through us. That we're walking in step with Jesus. 
that they were constantly seeking to join the dots between the gospel and every facet of our lives. So we don't want any aspect of our life disconnected from the gospel. That means that uh, the gospel causes us to look at our successes differently, but also causes us to look at our struggles differently. You know what that looks like? Uh, It looks like that when you get frustrated that something didn't go as well as you had planned or you hoped, well, you bring the gospel alongside that and you're reminded that Jesus is your worthiness and not your achievements. When you get angry that someone was rude or didn't give you the credit you deserved, well, you bring the gospel alongside that and you're reminded that Jesus has given you actually all the status that you need. Or when you get distracted with the pace of the world, you bring the gospel alongside that and you're reminded that Jesus calls us to rest and orientate our lives around him. When you get tempted to not tell the truth, you bring the gospel alongside that and you're reminded that Jesus is the judge and calls us to be people of truth. Or when you get carried along with the worldly value to focus on the popular and the strong, you bring the gospel alongside it and you're reminded that Jesus beckons us to seek out the least and the lost. We know that we know him when we walk in step with Jesus. The third mark of authentic Christian experience is loving one another. Verse 7. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is singing in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. When John says, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, he's saying in a way that the command to love, well, that can be traced right back to the Old Testament. So if Moses was standing alongside hearing this, he wouldn't be surprised by anything that John is saying. However, the new command he's writing is that we are not just to love, but that we are to love as Jesus has loved us. Of course, that's not John's idea. That's Jesus' commandment. Of course, he's not saying we're not to love people who don't believe, but the focus in our experience of our knowledge of God is especially made real in the expression of sacrificially loving our brother and sister in Christ. Just a couple of months ago now, a pastor from another church in Toowoomba got in contact with me to share with me that he'd had two separate, two totally independent encounters with people from St. Bart's. Okay, these are good news stories, just to tell you right up front. <laughs> he had two separate encounters with people from St. Bart's. Um, they didn't know that he was necessarily a pastor. He didn't necessarily know from St. Bart's at first. And he said that in these encounters... <laughs> things had happened, things had gone wrong, and that these people stepped forward and he was totally blown away by their extraordinary generosity and kindness to him. He said it was such an incredible blessing to be on the receiving end of such generosity. He said it was so Christ-like. It was, in effect, 
like being on the receiving end from Jesus. Love is a marker of genuine relationship with God. It's one of the reasons that our gathering as God's people and serving is really so important. Uh, when we gather, when we serve one another, we're not only declaring God's love, we're actually helping one another and ourselves to know God, to love those people who are not just like us, but also those who are different from us. Sometimes in different seasons of life, it's really easy to drift away from community. It's easy to, to pull back from other Christians. I think post-COVID, it's probably been particularly tempting to disconnect a bit, to strip things back. But whatever you do, don't disconnect from the life of Christian community. We need each other to live faithfully, to express God's love, to accept God's love. If we don't spend time with other Christians, how can we possibly declare that Jesus' new command to love one another even as he has loved us, how can we possibly declare that that is true? Amidst all the turmoil and tension that the community to whom John writes must have been experiencing, you could imagine that there would have been the real potential for all manner of relational problems unfolding. No doubt this faithful community to whom John writes no doubt they have been on the receiving end of all sorts of hatred from those who've left them behind. And when John speaks of not hating a brother or sister, it means something like not letting hate for a brother or sister really fester in your heart. And actually here it may have even included, you know, a deliberate action of harm towards someone. That's how the hate may have been, been expressed. John is saying, don't nurture it. Don't let it grow. Don't take delight in the failings of others. It's all a community killer. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't sometimes difficult things that need to be addressed. But it does mean that our default disposition in all we do is to love. Love one another as Jesus has loved us. How did Jesus love us? By even laying down his life for us. When we hate, or even when we love any less than that standard, it's actually a signal that we're not really thinking about what Jesus has done for us, that that's not top of mind or heart. When we hate, we're holding on to the kingdom of darkness that is fading away, and when we love, we're pointing forward to God's kingdom of life that's been inaugurated in Jesus. Throughout the uh, history of early Christianity, we read accounts time and time again, uh, not only of faithful proclamation that Jesus is the crucified and risen Lord, but we also read accounts of the way in which followers of Jesus so genuinely expressed their trust in him through their lives. Of course, they didn't always get it right. There were some terrible things as well. But so often we read of remarkable ways that they expressed their trust in the Lord. In fact, uh, often the way that they demonstrated their obedience and living like Jesus and love for one another was utterly surprising and puzzling to the world around them. People just couldn't make sense of it. Their obedience was totally countercultural. Their living like Jesus 
just stood out remarkably. And the love for one another seems so costly. But whilst others may not have understood, there would have been no mistaking that it was real. What does John say? I write these things to you who believe in the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. How can we know that we know him? What are the marks of authentic Christian experience? Obedience, living like Jesus, and loving one another. So why don't we pray and ask for God's help. Gracious God, we thank you so much that because of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, that we can have every confidence that as we put our trust in him, that we are saved. Lord, how we thank you that you first loved us and that you poured out your life for us. We pray that you would help us as we seek to follow your son, particularly that you would strengthen our obedience, that you would keep us in step with our Lord and grow our love for one another. Lord, right now we are particularly sorry for the ways in which we fall short. We pray that you would shine a light in our hearts and convict us of ways in which we are disobedient or out of step with Jesus. And we pray that that would cause us to grow our trust in you, to rejoice in you and seek out your ways. Lord, I pray that that would not cause us to doubt, but rejoice all the more in the forgiveness that has been afforded to us. We thank you for your spirit. And we pray that you continue to be at work, growing us for your glory, that we might point many to you. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a podcast from St Bart's. To learn more or to take the next step, visit stbarts.com.au.